I want to read, first of all, just one verse. It's a well-known verse. In Proverbs 29 and verse 18. It's a verse which has many different shades of meaning. And for that reason, it's translated quite differently in different English translations. In the, the old King James, it simply said, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. In some of the more modern translations, it says, for example, where there is no progressive vision, people dwell carelessly. Where there's no prophetic vision, people throw off restraint. And these are all shades of the truth that God wants us to receive. And I want to talk to you this morning about vision, spiritual vision. I'm deeply impacted by that prophetic word that we've received. Isn't it amazing that God would say such a shattering national word in the setting of this church? Doesn't it strike you as amazing? Makes me wonder what God's got for you. Why say it here? I haven't got the answer, but I want us, as part of the ability to receive receive vision, I want us to be wide open to the possibilities of God. That's part of vision. David was a little shepherd boy looking after a few sheep in the backside of the wilderness when God called him. The response of his more experienced senior brothers who were already in the battle was, you get back to your few sheep, you young upstart, who do you think you are? but God used him to take off Goliath's head. Amen? Now, I'd, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. All I'm left with is a question mark. Why say that here, Lord? And I think you've got to take a sense of awesome responsibility. Maybe you've got something significant to do for this whole nation. It's possible. At least you've got to be willing. So many people in Scripture were taken by surprise by God and they said, oh, how can I do it? Gideon said, how can I save my nation? I'm the least, I'm the smallest. Moses said, how can I speak? I, I, I can't even put two words together. They, they so with, withdrew from God's purpose that they actually made God angry. We don't want to make God angry, do we? I'm talking to you individually. I feel I'm talking to you corporately. I do not know what God's purpose is for this church, but I do know that if God decides to use you to blow a hole in Satan's kingdom that touches the nation, he's perfectly capable of doing that. And you mustn't say no. You mustn't negate in your heart, oh, that's just extreme, that's impossible. So let's say, God, we want to serve your purpose in our generation whether it's to pray 
and see you work elsewhere, or whether it's for you to start a fire here that could spread across the nation. I just don't know, but I'm ready either way. I don't care how it comes, so long as the glory comes. I don't care whether we have the prominence or whether we're totally unseen, so long as your glory comes. As long as Jesus is honoured, and as long as that foul, mucky work of Satan in this land is wiped off the face of this nation. It's become intolerable to us that this foul, wicked Satan and his forces should be polluting this nation in the way that he is. Vision is seeing, this is my definition of vision, in spirit, it's seeing by revelation, by spiritual revelation, something of what God sees. That's what we mean here when we talk about vision. You can't learn it, you can only receive it. You can't earn it, God gives it to you. But he gives it to certain kinds of people. And if you cry out, God, I want to see and fulfill the conditions, then he's going to open your eyes so you're going to see. And that's the burden of my heart this morning. There's a particular burden for leadership because if the leadership can't see, then they're not leading the people anywhere except round and round in a traditional wilderness. You know, it's amazing how quickly you get into tradition. You leave one set of traditions and come into a new church order with a new form of praise and worship and liberty, a different kind of church government, but within years it can just become another tradition. And you start to go round and round in a different wilderness, but it's got a sort of wilderness feel about it. And you can't lead by office, you can't lead by experience, you've got to lead by sight. You've got to have vision. And I'm praying for the leaders and I, I believe at the end of this time that that's a special uh, area of prayer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray because God's told me to for the leaders of this church that God from this day forward will impart some fresh continuing vision. Notice that it's described as progressive vision. You may know where you want to get, but you may not know how to get there. The steps to the final goal are as important as the goal. If you're standing on one hillside looking across to a distant mountain, the only way to get there is to find a route to that mountain. Otherwise you're just gazing at it and you never actually get there. And I, I want God to show us things which he will take us to in progressive steps. A progressive vision is what we're crying for. God unfolding step by step how he will lead us to that ultimate goal of his purpose. And I want to just, um, just look at a few examples in scripture. Come with me to Numbers chapter 13. You see, vision, as I've already said, let me repeat it, is seeing something the way God sees it. Because God gives you revelation. I want to give you an example of this in Numbers 13. And here we find the, the children of God are being given the opportunity to enter the promised land. But they fail to enter 
And the reason they failed to enter is because they could not see. They could see all right, but they couldn't see what God could see. At least two of them could, and the rest of them could not. There's one thing I'm very, very sure about. If we are going to fulfill the purpose of God in our generation, it's going to be through warfare. There has to be a fight. And the trouble with God's people in that day was that they were not ready for a fight. In fact, if you turn back for a moment with me to Exodus chapter 13, you will find that God could have taken them straight into the promised land. In a matter of six weeks, they could have left Egypt and already been in the promised land, but God gives the reason why he could not do that with them. It's Exodus chapter 13 and verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. You see, it's possible to have come out of the world, to have come out of the bondage of Satan, and yet you've not got into the purpose for which God raised you up and you're just stuck in a wilderness of in-between. You're out of the world, but you're not in the full purpose of God for your life. That could be true of you as an individual. It could be true of you as a church. You've just got out of one thing, but you haven't got into the other. And yet the scripture says God brought them out in order that he might bring them in. There wasn't supposed to be a 40-year wilderness period in between. And when God brings you out of the devil's kingdom, he, it's in order to translate you into the kingdom of his dear son that from day one you're now in the purposes of God which is to be a soldier for Christ to bring down the kingdom of darkness and bring instead the rule of the kingdom of God upon earth. That's what we're here for. But it says in verse 17 that it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines although it was near for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and they return back to Egypt. See, one of the problems, although our God's a blessing God, he's a good God, and he lavishes us with many benefits, the purpose is not just to be blessed with many benefits. The purpose is to fight and to win a war. That's what we're here for. And many people, they're glad to be free from the devil's power, they're glad to receive the blessings of God, but when God says, I want you to go to the war, they say, no thanks, just count me out. They're not ready for war. You see, the way of the Philistines meant they had to go through the enemy territory, overcome him, and then in six weeks they could have been in the promised land. But so many people are so scared of Satan and his forces that they would rather live in the wilderness all their lives and learn how to be an effective soldier for Christ. And I want to ask you, it's a very important question. Are you ready for war? Have you got a heart for it? As we feel God's heart for this nation and the filthy mess, the, the, the arrogant presumption that the devil could establish so much of his foulness on this nation which is so predominantly, so nominally Christian, how on earth does he get away with it? Because the majority of Christians don't want to fight, they just want the blessing. Now let him 
continue illegally to invade every strata of our society and we, we hardly say boo to him because we're afraid of the consequences. As Jesus put it in Luke chapter 14, we make terms and conditions of peace. Although we have the power to overcome him, we would rather live in peace and let the devil illegally go on uh, polluting and, and, and destroying the very fabric of this nation. But God has said enough. Enough's enough. The time's come. This next decade is going to be a time of God's action. A time of God's power. For those that are willing, he's going to move in a remarkable way. For those that are not willing, they're going to be put on one side and they're just going to live in an ever-increasingly dry, futile wilderness. Now, which kind of person do you want to be? I know where I want to be. I want to fulfill the purpose of God. I want to be able to say at the end of my life, he served the purpose of God in his generation, then he fell asleep. No retirement, you see. I'm not going to retire. <laughs> I hope I'm still preaching. I'd love to be preaching when I drop dead. That would be... <laughs> that's a, I'm not going to do it for many years yet, but uh, I'd love to be slamming some last... Um, punch in the devil's nose as I'm taken up into glory. That would be a wonderful way to ask. <laughs> Serve God, fall asleep. Hallelujah. What a way. Okay, so we find here, coming back to Numbers 13, that uh, after a period of about 18 months in the wilderness, you see, you may be saying, Lord, why has it become so dry in my personal life? Why has it become so routine? I once was so excited with you. The praise and worship really blessed me. But possibly, as an individual, I don't feel it's corporate for this church. But you found it's getting a bit boring, a bit routine. Because you see, the way that God cures us of not wanting a fight is to give us a taste of the wilderness. I'd rather die in the war than live in the wilderness. Would you? Would you? I'd rather do that. I'd rather live for three years in the front line for God and go to be to glory than live safely for 40 years in the wilderness. So God gave them a taste of the wilderness. Because that's the best way to bring people to the place where they are ready for war. And then he tries again. He brings them up to a place called Kadesh Barnea. He says, sends 12 spies into the Promised Land and says, right, you go and taste the fruit of the land. I want you to see what I'm leading you into. And they taste the fruit of the land and they, they bring back one bunch of grapes that's so heavy that two of them carry it on poles. It's a tremendous land and the, the fruit, the harvest is indescribable. And I tell you, round Austin, and across Texas and across the United States, there's a mighty, mighty harvest, rotten ripe for reaping. And you may have had a little taste of it, just a little touch of it, but I tell you, we've seen nothing yet in this land. Nothing. But they also saw the giants and the fortified cities. And he said, if we go to possess that land, we're going to have to fight. And the enemy seems so strong. Just, just come to the end of Numbers 13. And here's the report of the, of the 10. Verse 27. 
Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Wow, what a harvest. That's in my Bible, not in yours. <laughs> Verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and are very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And they took themselves out of all possibility of going into that land because of the power and strength of the enemy. Then Caleb quiets the people before, before Moses and says, let us go up at once and take possession for we're well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. And they gave a bad report. Come down to verse 33, please. Listen, this is the heart of their problem. This is what they saw. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anna came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Because we saw ourselves to be grasshoppers against them, that's what we became to them. They saw us the way we saw ourselves. So how do you see yourself? Who's greater? The prince demon that rules this region? Or you? Totally yielded to Christ. Who's stronger? I mean, you, I mean you've got to know it. Can you see it? Jesus said, sit down and reckon the cost, whether you, with your 10,000, are able to overcome him that comes against you with his 20,000. Otherwise, he says, you'll make terms and conditions of peace. Now, when you're fighting the devil, it always seems as if he's got more on his side. He, he doesn't, it's not actually true, but it seems that way. And have, can you come to a place where you say, I believe, that not that I'm anything, but I believe that the power of God upon me is more than a match. Even if I was to stand alone, I still think, I still believe, I'm utterly sure that Christ in me is bigger than he that's got the present demonic rule of this region. Now, I know you know this theologically, I know that. But I'm talking about having revelation. I'm talking about something bursting in your spirit by the Spirit of God so that you know, you know, you know, you know this is true. I know when this happened to me in Bombay, it was just after we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. There wasn't a single evangelical church in the whole of that great iniquitous dark city. The Baptist church that we were in had five people. There was a court case going on over property. Everything was black and dark. It drove my wife and I to seek something new from God which was finally crystallized into the fact that we needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which was an awful thought at that time. See, God put me into the wilderness to, to drive me to seek him in a new way. I said, God, I'm even prepared to speak in tongues. <laughs> as long as we can see some power around here. And I won't go into the whole story of how God dealt with me, but one day, both my wife and I, we were among the first 12 or 15 people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in Western India. It was in 1965. And then I had my eyes opened. And I think the first thing I saw in the Spirit 
was I, I don't mean I had a, a vision, but I saw the, the, the power of Jesus upon his throne. I saw him as absolute sovereign Lord. I, you know, what Paul prayed for in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through to 23. You read it when you get home. I, I saw it. Paul said, I want the eyes of your heart to be opened. I don't want you to know it theologically. I want it to burn as revelation in your heart so that you live by it. You see it in front of you. Every minute of every day. And I saw the power and authority and rule and, and mighty, mighty throne of Jesus. It was revelation to me. And I tell you, from that day forward, my prayers changed and my attitude changed. And when I saw demons, something went pop inside me. I said, let me at them. It didn't frighten me. And I'm not talking about a brash bravado. I'm talking about something that the Spirit burst in me. I knew that out of Christ I was nothing, but I knew that in Christ I was more than a match for the devil. I knew that my nothingness, made available to God, would triumph over all the power of the devil. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And I could move in the certainty of that fact. But they couldn't see that. All they could see was, oh, the giants are so big, oh, the cities are so strong, oh, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And the moment they saw themselves as grasshoppers, that's what they became. And the devil could come and say, ah, these little Christians, what can they do against our kingdom? They're just grasshoppers. That's all they see themselves to be, that's all they are. What you see yourself to be is what you become, beloved. As a man, Thinketh in his heart, the scripture says, so he is. Who do you see yourself to be? I want you to get revelation for who you are as an individual. I want you to get revelation for what you are corporately. One shall chase a thousand. How many do two chase? How many do a hundred chase? It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. So we, we get the revelation of corporiety, of moving together. The angel said to Gideon, you will smite the Midianites as one man. 300 people committed together as a Gideon band are more useful to God than 32,000 people doing their own thing. Do you believe that? And so you start to get the revelation of corporiety. You don't just learn the doctrine, you've seen it. You see it by vision and by revelation. Oh God, if we could get knitted together, if we could move as one man, what a power we would become. Nothing could stand in our sight. We'd be the terror of the demonic forces. They would flee in horror and fear. And so I could go on and on and on. But I want you to come with me into Numbers chapter 14. And let's read on. Here's the, the consequences of not seeing who you are is that you want to go back to Egypt and you start to find your fulfillment back in the things of the world. You know, it's amazing how people get saved. They get all excited about Jesus. The first touch of war comes into their lives. The first little bit of trouble touches their family or touches their finances. Or touches, they say, oh, I don't want any of this. I'd rather go back to Egypt. And you start to pick up on some of those things you put down. You start to take a new interest in your career, a new interest in your home, a new interest in your possessions. You start to get cold towards the Lord. Your worship and your praise begins to peter out. Your appetite for the Word of God begins to get hold, begins to pass away. It's the first signs of your heart turning back to Egypt, beloved. 
You say, well, I don't think I can make it to the prayer meeting because I've got to finish that bit of business. And the business becomes more important than Jesus. So subtle. But it's a sign. And eventually, they say, let's appoint ourselves a leader who will take us back to Egypt. I mean, we'd rather have a pastor who doesn't want to urge us on into the purposes of God, but will just bless us and be nice to us and let us all live worldly and just give us a little bit of comfort on Sunday. I don't like going to that church. He makes me feel uncomfortable every time I come there. Get a new leader. That's what happens. You end up living and dying in the wilderness. Just going round and round, the same routine. We'll give our tithe, we'll attend the meeting on Sunday, as long as it's not a nice weekend, and we'll go away for the weekend if it is. We've got to think of our, got to think of our recreation, we've got to have family life, we've got to earn the money to give our kids a good standard of education, and these are the things that really matter, and it's nice to have God as our favourite hobby. That's the wilderness. And you just lose all thrill and excitement for God and his purposes. And if you're honest, you can't see anything anymore. But there were others. That generation, and I believe the generation spiritually that's that's uh, passing away, I believe by the end of this decade, God will have just consigned that generation of church life to the wilderness, and he doesn't intend to use it. But there's a new breed being born. There's a new kind of person. And I'm not talking about age, I'm talking about spiritual attitude. I'm talking about spiritual eyesight. Something's been birthed in them. There's a violence of spirit. They're seeing something. They'll pay any price to see the kingdom come. Jesus is their passion. They'll live any standard, live anywhere, go anywhere, do anything for the Lord and to see the kingdom come. There's a new breed. It's emerging. The first breed, the first generation, He's going to die in the wilderness, but there's a new breed coming. It's rising up, and they're going to follow their spiritual Joshua's, and they're actually, by a miraculous power of God, they're actually going to enter in and possess the promised land. And there were a few, just two, of the old generation that had the heart to enter. Look at Numbers 14. Joshua and Caleb were among those who spied out the land. They tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceeding good land. Listen, verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Listen, for they are bread for us. <laughs> so here's one. Oh, they're a great giant and these great strong cities. We're grasshoppers in their sight. The same situation, but a different way of seeing it. They're bread for us. And notice another thing that Caleb says. You see, he's seeing. He's got revelation. Listen, 
their protection has departed from them. He saw that the demonic power and the demonic uh, uh, strength that was behind these different, different peoples was being lifted off them. Something was happening in the spirit. Something was happening in the heavens. And Caleb could see it. He saw that these terrifying giants and these formidable opponents, they were being stripped of their authority. Now, can you see that? I tell you, in 1990, the power that's behind humanism, the power that's behind all these activities, the demonic forces that are behind these people, they're going to be bound by the Spirit of the living God and they're going to be bred for us, beloved. They're going to be bred for us. God, open your eyes to see that the power behind them is being taken away. Something's happening in the heavenlies. Your intercessions, your prayers, your calling to God is not falling to the ground. It's having great effect in that realm of the heavenlies. Keep at it. Don't give up. Now's the time to increase the attack. They're shaking. They're being bound. Whatever you bind on earth will be, has been bound. Is that not true? Do you believe that? The spiritual forces that give such strength to these wicked activities upon earth, I tell you, those spiritual forces are being destroyed and being removed and these people will be left helpless on earth without the power behind them. And Caleb could see that. He could see that these, these invincible enemies that previously had been so strong were now so weak because their spiritual power was being taken from them. He could see it. Oh, God, open our eyes to see it. God, open your eyes to see it. They're bred for us. They're spiritual strength. Oh, we struggled with them in the past and we couldn't shift them, but you will struggle them with them in the future and they'll just be like bits of paper that you can just kick out of the way. Because a new power is coming upon God's people and the power that was upon them is being removed. Caleb could see it because he had eyes to see. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. <laughs> Don't fear them. And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. <laughs> see, that generation wasn't ready. But a new generation was being raised up and it was ready. And it did move in the awesome power of God. Come with me to another incident. I want you to come with me to 2 Kings. I have so much that God's been showing me this in, area, in this area. I'm just going to just touch on one or two more things. And then we'll leave the rest and move on. 2 Kings chapter 2. You know the story? It's the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha has walked with Elijah for a number of years. He's been impacted with the spirit of this man. He keeps saying, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, he said, I'm going to stick close to you because you've got something in God that I want. But then he goes on a bit further and he says, I want a double portion of your spirit. 
See, I've got to where I am in 31 years of ministry. I've made lots of mistakes. I've been battling against a, a sea of apathy and unbelief in the people of God who are programmed to believe in the victory of the devil. Our very theology taught us it was going to get worse and worse and worse and we were going to get pushed more and more into a corner and there was nothing we could do except passively resign ourselves to a demonic takeover. If ever there was a deception from Satan, that was a deception. I'm not saying there's not going to be a fight. There is going to be a fight. I'm not saying that there are not going to be martyrs, because there will be martyrs. I'm not saying that you and I may not go through a time of great trouble, but it will be the kind of trouble that Stephen went through. He saw the glory of the Lord and saw the victory of his God. I don't mind dying that way. That's victory, not defeat. Oh, that's very melodramatic to talk about people dying in America. I tell you, it will happen. When the pawn kings and those who are making so much money out of abortion see that their, their uh, li living is being taken away from them by these wretched kingdom people, I tell you, they won't pull any punches to try and stop this. And it'll get rough. But if we hold course and don't flinch, and see the battle is in the heavenlies, not really upon earth. We're, these are not our enemies, it's the principalities and powers who are our enemies. And some of these kings of this foul um, organization, some of these kings are going to come and bow the knee to Jesus and ask forgiveness like the Pauls of, of their day. It'll be rough, but it'll be glorious. Are you ready for it? But I've learned over 31 years, made many mistakes. And then I look at some of the young people, I look at my own son, my 17-year-old son. He seems to know all that I know. I see him moving in a power and authority. I listen to him prophesy with such power and I think, God, what are you producing? And I think, where will he be in 10 years' time? You know, I think I could take a young man who's wholeheartedly sold out for God and I think in five years I could impart to him what I've received in 30 odd years. I could do that. Then where will he go from there? He must go at least twice as far as I've gone. It's only logical. And so we're, we're producing, if you, if you can see this, we're producing a generation of children and of young people who are going to go so much further than some of those older ones have gone. Well, I'm going to be a Caleb and being on it. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying I mean it's there's, there's, a, there's a, a generation of conquerors arising up. some of you young men and you young women you ask God say God whatever I see you doing through some of the older men of God in this land I want to absorb their spirit but I want a double portion of what they've got we're going to go further than they ever went and then Elijah's reply in verse 9 was You've asked a hard thing. Why was it hard? Because if you're going to be mightily used of God, you have to go through a tough training school. If you're going to carry the power of God in the, the measure of anointing that will be necessary in these days, you've got to be so insulated against the, your own um, pride and deception. You've got to be so taught by God, your character's got to be so formed that it's, the power is safe with you. Otherwise you will be destroyed by the very power that God wants to give you. And that's why God's going through the ministries of this land and he's going to un, uh, 
he's going to expose and deal with everything that isn't righteous in his sight. There's a great cleanup beginning, and I tell you, it's going to become even more severe. And those that will humble themselves and repent and learn to walk with a new humility and fear before God, God's going to raise them up and they're going to know an anointing three times, ten times, anything they've ever known before. But those who will hang on to their position and on to their, their importance and on to their uh, visible uh, uh, largeness, if they will not repent, then God's going to deal with them and they're going to be swept away into ignominy. They're going to just live the rest of their lives in the wilderness. It's the time of the great cleanup, beloved. It's the time when God is going to come and as the Bible says, judgment must begin in the house of God. It's a time for a new fear of the Lord to come upon us. It's a time to get serious and yet not to lose our joy and not to lose our sense of fun because that's perfectly compatible with seriousness. I'm not talking about being long-faced miseries, but I'm talking about having a serious heart intent. And Elisha said, or Elijah said to Elisha, he said, what can I do for you before I'm taken away? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirits. Verse 9 of 2 Kings 2. And Elijah's response is, is this. He says, he says, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm taken up, it will be granted to you, but if you do not see me, it will not be granted to you. In other words, if you're going to get into the reality of this thing, it's a matter of whether you see something or whether you don't see something. Vision is all important. Why? Well, let's have a look and see. You see, Elisha's been called to a specific ministry which is to be uh, a mighty force for God in the midst of a darkening situation. Let's just look at those next verses. Verse 11. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And listen, verse 12, and Elisha saw it. Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more, took hold of his own clothes, tore them in two, and picked up the mantle of Elijah. You see, what happened in that blinding revelation was he couldn't do it. He couldn't walk in as a single man into a hostile situation and say, thus and thus says the Lord, without knowing that all the power of God was behind him when he spoke. And we're going to move into those days. We, we are in those days. Come with me to 2 Kings 6. Can you, can you see what I'm talking about? Look at verse 11 of 2 Kings 6. Here is Elisha in his ministry. And what was happening was that every time the king of Syria tried to make a move, Elisha knew what he was going to do and he told the king of, of Israel what he was going to do. I tell you, we've spent years and years in what I call reacting to the devil's attacks. What about moving into the realm where we anticipate the devil's attacks and stop him even before he starts? 
So all we do is to, is to pick up the rubble and the mess and try and patch up the people after they've been destroyed by the devil. But to see it ahead and stop him, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. To know where he's going, to know what he's doing even before he does it. That's what was happening to the king of Syria. He said, who's telling this king of Israel my movements before I even think of them? They said, well, Elisha knows what you say even in your bedroom. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the pawn kings and the drug kings, and the strategists of humanism, and the strategists of the New Age movement, if every time they thought of something, we knew exactly what they were thinking. And could move in the supernatural wisdom of God to, to, to frustrate their purposes again and again and again. Wouldn't that be marvellous? You know, if we are willing, God will bring men and women to that kind of prophetic ministry. It's already beginning to happen, actually. And so the king of Syria gets mad. You see, when we start to destroy the devil's kingdom, he's going to get mad. He's going to throw everything he can against us. But if you know who's with you, it doesn't trouble you. You don't get disturbed even. So you come on in this chapter and you find that, uh, uh, verse 14, he sends horses and chariots and a great army there came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said, Oh, alas, my master, what shall we do? Supposing Bob here begins to lead such a successful assault against the powers of darkness that all the principalities and powers of this whole region say, We're going to come and get him. And all the prince demons and all the, the, the ranks of demon forces come and say, we have to knock this man out, he's too much trouble to us. And supposing you as a church suddenly start to feel waves of satanic assault upon you because you are beginning to be a trouble to the evil one. We have to knock this church out because it's strategic, it's the main source of problem for establishing the rule of darkness in this place. So we're going to rub it out. The Redeemed Christian Fellowship in Austin has got to be removed. It's number one on the hit list. Does that sound bizarre to you? I tell you, that's exactly how it is in the heavenlies. You see, but if you've seen what Elisha sees, it doesn't bother you. You see, here's two people looking at the same scene. Here's the servant who all he can see is, oh, alas! All I can see is the power of the devil. You know, there's a lot of Christians like that. All they can see is the power of the devil. All they can read about and talk about is what the devil's doing, how many witches' covens have started up, what the New Age movement is doing, how, you know, we read in this, about someone in the plane said, oh, we're praying for Christian leaders' families to be destroyed. So what? So what? Where's the real power and where's the real authority? Is it with them or is it with us? Let's stop being afraid of the devil. The first thing that God said to Gideon was, tear down the altar to Baal and build an altar to the Lord in its place. Stop worshipping Satan and what he's doing. Worship Christ and who he is and what he's already done. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's glorify the king. We will not give place to the devil. We will not give place to the devil. We will not give place to the devil. Hallelujah! Yeah. 
And the response of Elisha was this. He said, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Because see, Elisha could see it all the time. He saw all these, relatively, all these pipsqueak demons. But what he could see, he could see the, the forces of the Lord, the chariots and the horses. And he, he saw the, the mountains. Let me just read it, get the words exactly right. And so verse 16, he answered, Don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, said, Oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, when you've had your eyes open, you can see. You can see. And you're not afraid. And you're ready, even in the day of battle, to live in absolute peace of the utter supremacy, power, rule, authority, and complete dominance of the one whom you serve. Jesus said, all power and all authority has been given to me. Do you believe that? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Is it, is it with the eyes of your heart, you're, you, you're in this burning revelation? Because all the devil can do is bluff. He can make us back off and make us see ourselves as we really aren't until we believe we're like that and then he can treat us as if that's what we were when we're not really like that. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> I'm not a grasshopper. I'm a son of the living God. I'm nothing and yet at the same time all the power of God has come upon me in the person of God the Holy Spirit. Being nothing, I'm more than a match for the devil. If I walk humbly before him, walk in the fear of the Lord, and in the obedience of Christ, he can't touch me any more than he could touch Jesus. I'm utterly secure and confident. Hallelujah. And if we become a people who can see like that, then I tell you, there's nothing will be impossible to us that's in the will of God. Amen? I'm just wondering where to go. <laughs> I was going to talk to you about what Haggai saw and what Zechariah saw, but I'm going to leave that out. I want to just really come on to the, the one thing that I want to say and then we're going to close. Come with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we find John the Baptist testifying to who Jesus is from verse 29 through to 34. And, I, and verse 34 says, I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. And again the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, What do you seek? Or what are you looking for? If Jesus was to turn round and ask you that question, what would you say? Healing? 
help with my finances, please sort out my marriage, or I just want to be happy, or I want certain bondages of sin to be broken in my life, what would you say? You know, they were so shocked that they just sort of reacted. You know when you don't know what to say, you say, oh, where do you live? Or, you know, and they say, oh, but, but they said, oh, where do you live? And he, and he said, he was so clever, he said, come and see. And he took them for a day, and they lived with him. And they did, in the words of John the Apostle, in the first letter of John, they touched, they handled, they heard, they saw, and another word that's used, they looked intently upon the eternal life that was with the Father. That's what they saw. They saw eternal life, the eternal life of God manifested in human flesh. And they were gripped. They were captured for the rest of their life. Has it happened to you? Have you seen anything? You know, when I look across a congregation as they're worshipping, I can tell the people who've seen Jesus. You can tell them. There are those who know their sins are forgiven, and praise God, there are those who are looking for answers to their needs, but there are those who've seen Jesus. And, you know, they're a different breed. And it's your birthright to see Jesus enthroned on high, and just clothed in his majesty, just to worship him. Have you seen him? If you haven't, I tell you, it's the great joy of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to give you revelation. You can't learn it in a book. You can't get it from somebody else. You have got to see for yourselves. Another great thing is this, that Jesus said that when the Spirit's come to his own disciples, whom he had taught for three and a half years, he said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will show you the Father. And when you've seen the Father, he said, you will ask him anything and he will do it for you that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Even the teaching of Jesus couldn't do it. It had to be the revelation of the Spirit opening their eyes until something inside them said, Oh, Daddy Father, my Daddy! And you become rooted and grounded in the love of God. And you can't be shaken out of it. And it says in Ephesians, it's the other great prayer of Paul for the Ephesian church. He says, oh, I, want, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name, that you might have revelation of the love of God. You may know the length and the breadth and the depth and the height, and as a result, you might be filled up with all the fullness of God. You're not rooted and grounded in doctrine, you're rooted and grounded in love, beloved. Do you know the love of the Father? Have you seen the Father? I sit and I cry with the inexpressible joy of the goodness of God and the love of God being poured out upon me. I can hardly stand it sometimes. It's so good. It's so good. And that's the foundation. That's the rooting. That's the grounding. You know, in a way, other people can hurt me. They can fail me. They can let me down. It doesn't get to my spirit because I'm rooted in God, not in that other relationship. Do you understand me? I don't enjoy being hurt, but I can cope with it because I'm rooted in something, someone. Someone so utterly wonderful and secure because I've seen the Father. My very spirit cries out, Oh, my daddy, my father, my daddy, my father. I, I'm loved by the, the great one. He loves me. I actually like being me. 
I lack me. Do you? I'm unique. I'm special. There's no one like me. There never will be and never has been anyone like me. I have a unique way of pleasing the Father and I enjoy being me. I enjoy other people being them. And I can enjoy them. I don't feel any competition. I don't feel insecure because I'm so secure in my own acceptance in the Beloved. Have you seen it? Have your eyes been opened? You know, in John chapter 12 and verse 21, some Greeks came to Jesus and they said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Do you remember that verse? Yeah. And Philip, he was absolutely shocked. That threw him. If they'd said, oh, can you tell us how to run a better church? He said, oh, yes, we've got a, we've got a set of tapes on that. We know how to run a better church. Or can you tell us what about church government? Oh, yes, we've got a set of tapes on church government. What about apostles? Oh, yes, we've got a lot of teaching on apostles. And what about this? He wasn't, but, but, sir, we want to see Jesus. Yeah. Oh, we haven't got a set of tapes on that. So he went to Andrew. He said, Andrew, there's people here asking how to see Jesus. Oh, we've not had that one before. Let's go to Jesus. What a sensible thing to do. Yes. Listen, leadership. Can you see Jesus? And can you tell people how to see him? So important. And when Jesus heard they wanted to see him, this was his reply. It says he answered them. He said, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. They're wanting to see Jesus. They're wanting to see Jesus. They're not wanting methodology to get a more efficient program, to get a better church, to be bigger, more successful, this, that or the other. He said, they are getting to the heart of the matter now. They're wanting to see Jesus. Now the hour's come for the Son of Man to be glorified. These other things are important, but this is primary. You know, in the natural, when you go to the opticians to have your eyesight tested, he sits you in a chair and he asks you, what can you see? And you see a sort of a, a uh, chart with sort of X, A, B, C, D and then you see all down this chart the letters getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you finally say well I can't quite see and by that test he can measure your, the, the effectiveness of your eyesight you know in scripture there is one test for spiritual eyesight and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 4 to 6 it says in verse 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that do not believe lest the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ should shine in unto them. And then it says in verse 6, but God has commanded light to shine to give a knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you, what do you see? Have you got eyesight? Have the eyes of your heart been opened? Oh, Jesus was always talking about it. He said, let the eyes of your heart be opened. There's many things you need to see. You need to see the kingdom. You need to see the city. You need to see so many things. But be first and foremost, you've got to see Jesus. I'll probably come and talk about, because I'm, I'm privileged to be with you. Well, I don't know when I'm with you now. I've forgotten, but... 
Friday. Maybe I'll talk some more on some of these other things you need to see. But, but I think I'm just going to stop here. There's a lot more I wanted to say to you. But I want to stop here with our eyes focused upon Jesus. And I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for one another. Let's just get before God. Let's just be still before God. Let's cry, oh God. God, we want to have a vision. We want a progressive vision. We want to see. Lord, I pray for these dear, precious people that I've come to love so much and I just feel the love that you have for them. And I pray now in Jesus' name. You pray. Say, God, I want to see Jesus. Well, I see him to some extent, but I want a progressive vision. And right now, I want you just to open up your hearts. Perhaps you'd like to stand with me. Just stand and let's just raise our hearts, raise our hands to what, let's just pray in tongues. Let's ask him for revelation. Let's ask him to help us to see. Open our eyes. Say, oh God, we want to see, first of all, we want to see Jesus. We want to see who you are. We want to see your beauty. We want to see your glory. We want to see the Father. Show us the Father. Show us Jesus. Show us who we are in him. Lord, there's so many things we need to see. We could, we could list so many things, Lord. I pray for these dear ones who, who have been so informed, have been given so much knowledge, who have, oh God, so much of wonderful teaching that's been filling their minds. It's so beautiful and it's so good and it's so right in your sight. Now, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that it will drop into their hearts in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that spiritual eyes will be opened in Jesus' name. That what we know in our heads will become revelation in our hearts. And Lord, I pray for everyone who's under oppression from the devil, that they'll see who they are in God. That, Lord, by that face of revelation, they will rise up and resist the devil, that he may flee from them in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, just let your spirit now come gently across this congregation. Just start to pray in tongues. Just open up your heart. Open the, the eyes of your heart. Lord God, let people begin to see. We want to see Jesus. I pray, Lord, when we come to worship you, we'll worship you with eyes open. We'll see the glory of the Lord. We'll see the throne. We'll see the elders falling down. We'll see the multitudes of angels. We'll see, Lord, all the glory of heaven with our eyes, Lord, so we can enter into that realm and become ecstatic in our worship and praise of the living God. God, bring us out of the wilderness of going round in a steady routine of churchianity. Oh God, deliver us from it. Give us to see something. In Jesus' name.